0: anyway if you have your Bible's electronic devices you can click to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8 if you want to if you want to read along or follow along on a handheld device with a uh, you know a tablet or a phone and you have you you version or something like that or old-school Bible that's fine if not the words are going to come up on the screen as I read them so we've been in the book of Nehemiah and we've been looking at this issue that, that of, of rebuilding of the walls and so we've we've entitled this this series life rebuilt because it was really more than just rebuilding a wall. It was rebuilding the lives of, the, the, of, of families and relationships. Uh, the walls had been down for about 151 years. As a result of that, the Jewish people were in exile because of their disobedience. And so over 151 years, the wall was down. Several men came along and tried to rebuild the walls. They weren't able to do it. And so the Jewish people were pretty discouraged, and there was this guy by the name of Nehemiah, and, and here's what I want to help you with this weekend and, and help you to understand, because the title's message is a celebration. It's when they walk in, they've rebuilt the walls and they're going to walk in, and there's going to be a celebration that what God has done. But one of the things I want you to understand is who God used in this. Nehemiah was not a religious leader. Le- Nehemiah was not a scribe, He was not a priest. He was not a, a religious leader. he wasn't even a Jew. Nehemiah was living in a city called Susa. Uh, he He worked for the government. He worked for the king. He worked for the government. He's like a politician. And so he wasn't a priest. He wasn't a scribe. He wasn't a religious leader. And God used this man in an unbelievable way, much like he has done with many of you. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a priest for God to use you. God desires to use you exactly where you're at and so nehemiah was like a thousand miles away he hears that the walls are down he hears that the jewish people are living in an exile and something happened it 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 broke his heart and he 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 fasted and he prayed and he, seek, he sought God over that. And all of a sudden he realized that God wanted him to go and rebuild the walls. The scripture says, Nehemiah chapter seven, verse five, it said, God put this in my heart. So this was something that God had put in his heart uh, to go back and rebuild the walls. He got permission from the king to do that. Uh, he, he went, he traveled a thousand miles. He went to, 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 uh, to Jerusalem Gathered all the people around. He casted vision, told them what God had placed in his heart. The people rallied around him. They they re- they rebuilt the wall. And now all of a sudden we come into this place to where they're like there's a celebration. But what really was happening is there was personal revival happening. Something had happened in that period. Something had happened in that season, and people had walked away from God. They had walked away from the church. They had walked away from God. They walked away from the Bible. They walked away from the law in their time, and they walked away. And God brings this man, Nehemiah, in. That had these spiritual disciplines and revival had happened in his life and it started expanding to other other people as as, as well and so when you look at this story it's really about the God rebuild the lives of men and women it's about revival it's about people coming back to God like never before so I want to give you four things that happens in your life and four things that happens in my life when, when, when people come back to God, when people have wandered away from God, maybe they've wandered away from his word, maybe they've wandered away from the church for whatever reason, and they start coming back to God, and then God does four things, or four things are, are apparent in their life, and the first one is this, the Bible is a priority in their life. Something happens, they see the Bible differently than maybe they've ever seen it before. And all of a sudden the Word, the Scriptures become a priority in their life. And so we're going to pick the story up in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And we're going to make it through most of chapter 8 as we end this series on, on Nehemiah, just a celebration. So here's what it says, and all the people gathered together at the square in the front of the water gate. And they asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. So here's the interesting thing. So we need to understand who Ezra is. We need to understand who Nehemiah is. Ezra was a scribe or a priest. So Ezra was like the religious leader. Here's the interesting thing. This is the first time he appears on the scene. This is the first time we read about him in this whole story. So maybe what had happened in Ezra's life, because Ezra was one of the men that tried to rebuild the wall and tried to rebuild the temple and wasn't able to do that. Ezra may, as a pastor and a priest, maybe he became discouraged. Maybe he just got to the place and thought, you know what, God's never going to do this. God's never going to rebuild the walls. We're going to live in exile for the rest of our life. And so God had to bring Nehemiah, a a lay person, a person that's not a religious leader, a person that wasn't a scribe or a priest. He gave him a burden, and he brings him from the outside in to all of a sudden bring revival. And then Nehemiah, he was like the project manager on this. I mean he he was the one that organized this and put everything together to help him rebuild the wall. And so God used this man, listen, God used this man, Nehemiah, just like God desires to use you. Wherever God has placed you, in, in business or, or or in 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 the community or your job or whatever, God does listen, God desires. God desires to use you. And Nehemiah was this unique man. I mean, Nehemiah was this man that the Word was like priority in his life, and he just didn't read the Word. I mean, when you look at this, you realize that, that he, his heart was, was broken over what was happening to the, to the Israelites, to the, to the Jewish people. Man, we live, in a, we live in a time of outrage, right? We live in a time when it's okay to get angry about something. I don't want to know what you're angry about. I want to know what is breaking your heart. Because whatever is breaking your heart is going to move you to action. It's one thing just to be an outrage, and it's one thing to be in an anger, and it's one thing just to continually rail about the community, rail about society, or rail about what's going on. It's another thing when God just like literally breaks your heart. Because it's over what God breaks your heart is what we, all of a sudden we get involved in, and we're, we're moved. This was Nehemiah. Nehemiah wasn't angry. Nehemiah his heart was broken, that the Jewish people were living in exile, that the Jewish people would be taken advantage of, and it says that he mourned, and he wept, and he prayed, and then he moved moved to action when God prompted him. Listen, I don't don't know about you. I am trying, and I want to live my life in such a way, like Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 5, that when God puts something in my heart, I just do it. When God prompts me to do something, I just do it. When God breaks my heart over something, whether it's going on in our city, whether it's going on in, in 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 relationships or families or whatever, that when God when God when when God breaks my heart, and God puts something in my heart, that I'm just I'm just willing, I'm just willing to be obedient, and I'm trying to live my life. And we'll talk about spiritual disciplines and so. I'm trying to live my life in that way. You know what? I, what I'm learning is a lot of us are, are struggling with joy, and we're going to talk about that. And I get it. And I understand what everything that's going on. It seems like everybody's understaffed, and everybody's struggling to find people to work, and all of those other things. And th- on on Saturday, I I had to go pick up some meds at the the pharmacy that, that I used, and they were just terribly they were just terribly understaffed, and and. Uh, and this, this, this—the the lady that helped me. There's a little bit of a complication, and she went. I mean, she went over and above. And their line is growing, and and uh, because she was like the only one. And uh, and I I just looked at her. I I just felt prompted, and I just looked at her and said, "Hey, I I just want to tell you thank you for your kindness." I mean, I, I get it. You're the only one here, and I, I just want to tell you thank you. I just want to tell you thank you for showing up. And she looked at me, and she says, you know, thank you so much, because usually people yell at me because nobody else showed up with me. And I'm the one that showed up. And I says, well, you know what? God sees you. And I, I just want you to know that. I just want to tell you thank you for showing up. I just want to live my life in just such a way, because I'm telling you, we're living in a time, right? We are living in a time when people are discouraged and people are struggling. Ezra may have been struggling with a little bit of that. You look at Nehemiah, and the scripture says, and all the people gathered together. All of a sudden, it's this picture of unity. It's a picture of unity. That the church and the Jewish people are in unity. People are returning to God, and I mean the, the whole city is showing up. But but when I when I think of Nehemiah's life, and I, I think of Psalm chapter one verses one through three, and 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 that kind of sums up his life. And and here here's what it says: Is how happy is the one who does not walk in the in the in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. And that was Nehemiah, right? I mean, we've looked at that when, when conflict came and opposition came. And when, when they, they, would, they would mock Nehemiah, Nehemiah wouldn't insult them and Nehemiah wouldn't mock them. I mean, when you look at Proverbs, you look at Psalms, and you look at what Scripture says, it, it casts a, a bad light on the one who is willing to mock another. A one who is willing to degrade someone, make fun of someone, because you're degrading or making fun of someone that is made in the image of God. In fact, his Proverbs goes on and says, when you mock someone, you're mocking me. And so Nehemiah wasn't that guy. And then in verse, verse 2, all of a sudden it says, instead, his delight is in God's instructions, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams and bears and that bears fruits in, in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. So, so now all of a sudden, the psalmist is writing and says there's two types of individuals. There's one type that gets into this sitting with sinners and, and sitting with the wicked and, and mocking and some of those other things, but there's this other guy. But there's this other guy that takes God's word and he meditates on it day and night. And that was Nehemiah. When we look at the rhythms that Nehemiah had, for him, a quiet time wasn't just in the morning and grabbing a verse and then starting this day and never thinking about that verse ever again. But Nehemiah would take that verse and meditate it on it day and night. So the Jewish people, the reason that they prayed three times a day is to meditate on God's word. They would take a scripture, they would take a verse... And then throughout the day, they would pause and they would reflect on that verse. In life journaling, that's actually what I do. When I grab a verse in life journaling, it is not something that I just do in the morning. I mean, I craft a prayer out of that life journaling verse and say, God, because of what I read today, this is how I want to improve my life. Because of what I read today, this is how I want to live more obediently to you. And then throughout the day to stop and to pause and to look at that verse and say, how am I doing with that verse? And you meditate on it day and night. And then he says he is like a tree planted. A tree in the Old Testament is just a, a, just a way of, of, of saying a life, a person. And so he's like a tree planted beside flowing streams of water. Water was a picture of the word of God, the refreshing word of God. And he goes on and says it's fruit uh, and, and that bears fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. In other words, it does not wither when difficult times. And all that he does, he prospers. That even through difficult times, even through dry seasons in your life, you are like a tree planted right up against God, right up against his word. You meditate on his word day and night. And because of that, you have spiritual prosperity. Because of that, you still have joy. Because of that, you still find success. When you look at this, you realize that God's word speaks to our heart. And just like God put it in Nehemiah's heart, God desires to put things in our heart as well. And when you look at this, you realize that God used this man, Nehemiah, who wasn't a scribe and who wasn't a priest. He wasn't a religious leader in a huge way. And so when people come back to God, there is a desire. There is desire for his word and his life to them. And I I still remember, and I'll talk about this maybe a little bit later, but I, I still remember when I first came to faith in Christ. I couldn't get enough of his word. I mean, I, I could not get enough of his word. I wanted to learn and I wanted to understand what is God's word says to me. And so when you look at this with Nehemiah and then you look at this with Ezra, the people came out and said, Ezra, we, we bring out the law. Bring out the word. Ezra had been doing this for 14 years. For 14 years, he had been preaching in this church. For 14 years, he had been pastoring them. And nothing really happened and nothing really changed. And maybe Ezra got to that place. That he was just discouraged and thought, you know what? God's never gonna do it again. It's never gonna happen. And then all of a sudden, this day wasn't like any other day. And the people all showed up at the Watergate. We'll look at that 50,000 people showed up at the Watergate. If you go to Israel, you can go to the Watergate. And you can understand how 50,000 people geographically could have been in that area and could have, could have seen Ezra, could have seen the priest. And all of a sudden, something just happened. Listen, you and I cannot predict the day. When God is just going to show up in a dramatic way in our situations or in our circumstances, right? It, that's, that's the reason we meditate on his word day and night. That's the reason we stay obedient. I will never forget, in 2008 was a season in the life of our church that we had We had a lot of people coming to faith in Christ. But for whatever reason, they didn't want to take the next step to, to baptism. And so one morning, I, I was praying, and God put it in my heart that God wanted me to do an impromptu Uh, baptismal service that we weren't going to tell anybody ahead of time and that we were i was just going to preach a simple message on baptism and at the end of the service anybody that wanted to get baptized we're just going to give them an opportunity to get baptized and so it was simple so i go to pastor's meeting i sit down with the pastors i say, this is what god's put in my heart what do you guys think and they they were kind of iffy on it and then they they prayed about it and they said you know what maybe god's in this and so we prepared we prepared for like 30 people we thought you know what if 30 people would get baptized, that would be an unbelie- that would just be an unbelievable thing. And so that weekend, we bought we bought t-shirts, we bought shorts, we bought brushes, we bought brought hair dryers because uh, we know nobody was coming prepared to get baptized. And so we wanted to take all the excuses away. I preached a simp. I just preached a simple message on baptism. Actually, it was a message that I'd preached two times before, with not much success. And so, uh, so this time I preached, I preached that same message, but something happened. Listen, something happened that morning. Do you realize? Over the course of the, of the weekend, we baptized hundred and ten people. We baptized till eight o'clock Saturday night. Sunday morning, we started again at 9 o'clock. The 9 o'clock service ran into the 10.30 service because so many people responded and lined up and got baptized. The 10.30 service went all the way to almost 1 in the afternoon because we had so many people in that service. At 6 o'clock, we did a youth service and we brought people back and over the course of the weekend, 110 people followed the Lord in baptism. It it like shocked all of us. The hilarious thing, Kmart was in business in those days and so we, we in between service we're going and we're buying more shorts and t-shirts we we um, Kmart was sold out And so we bought all their shirts and t-shirts, our shorts and t-shirts. We went over to Walmart in between service. We started buying out Walmart. We became the talk of Walmart with what is going on in that church over there. They keep showing up here and buying shorts and t-shirts. And they, what is going on? What are those people doing over there? And so, and, and we were being asked by that. And so it was just a, it was a movement of God. Over the next four weeks, we baptized, we baptized another 40 people in a month We baptized 150 people. None of us could have ever guessed that was going to happen. And it started something in our church. It started revival in our church. Listen, I'm telling you. Nobody can predict when God shows up. That's that's why we make a priority of His Word. That's why we make a priority of worship. That's why we make a priority of other things because we can never predict. We can never predict when God is going to show up. Verse 2, it says, On the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen with understanding. While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men. Please don't miss that. That's a six-hour sermon. Nobody says amen. We should do that here. (laughs) He read out from it, from daybreak until noon before the men and the women and those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. So I just want you to understand this. This wasn't a preacher saying you need God's word. This wasn't a preacher saying you need to read God's word. This was the people saying, preacher, we need God's word. Preacher, explain God's Word. This this is a revival. This is a movement that is happening. And then what's interesting to me is when you read this text, you realize that the children were in another area. There was like children's church going on even in that time. This is a model for us as well. And so there was children's church going on where they were discipling children. And then it says there were men and there were women, and they were listening attentively to the Word, and they were understanding the Word. And, and this was something that was that they were asking for. So the first thing is this, is that the Bible is a priority, but the other thing is this, is that worship is a priority. To where worship is a priority. See, see that's why we, you, can, you and I cannot predict. You and I cannot predict when God's just going to show up. I mean, you may think it's, it's, it's just like any other Sunday. But it's on that Sunday, God breaks through or God does something in your life. And so not only is the word a priority, but, the, but, the, but worship is a priority. And so worship is more than just singing. A lot of times we think, well, worship is only what you do in church or worship is only just singing. Worship is way more than that. Worship is what you do with your life. Worship is how you offer your life to God. It's what do you do with your time and your talents and your resources, the thing that God has given you. In a worship service, worship just isn't music and it just isn't singing. It's everything. We worship by singing. We worship by reading the Psalms or we worship by reading the Scriptures. We worship by explaining the text or preaching. Worship is literally this, this issue of being willing just to meet with God. Worship is a response. To what God is doing in our life. When you look at this, you, for you and I, listen, for you and I to worship, we have to, we have to do something to ourselves to worship. We have to do something to ourselves to, to submit to him. Uh, we have to make it a priority. We, 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 have, to, we have to sometimes get, a, get, get past our pride or our arrogance or thinking that we can, we can do it all. We have to do something to ourselves, and you're going to see it in the way in which they worship. When you look at this issue of worship and you look at this issue of God, there is nothing we can do to make God any bigger than he already is. I mean, he's already sovereign. He's already in control, so there is nothing we can do to make him bigger than he is. But we can change our perspective, because a lot of times we see us over God instead of God over us. A lot of times we see ourselves over the Word instead of the Word over us, and we can change our perspective. See, a lot of times that's what worship does for us, whether it's in the singing of the scriptures or whether it's in the preaching that all of a sudden we realize that God is bigger in our life than we thought. Whenever you go through difficulty, whenever you go through problems, you have to understand that God is bigger than your situation, and God is bigger than your circumstances. And one of the ways that we do that is in worship, when we just encourage one another. Sometimes I feel it in worship services, when, when God speaks into my life and says, my trust is in him, and I will not be shaken. My trust is in him, and I will not be shaken. And I remember that, you know what, maybe I'm placing my trust in some other things, and that's why I'm being shaken. Maybe I'm placing my confidence in my ta- in my talents or my abilities or the circumstances or the situations. And maybe that's why I'm being shaken. And I need to be reminded that, hey, guess what? My trust. My trust is in him. And when my trust is in him, I will not be shaken. And then you look at this and you realize that they, they stood on a wooden platform. Verse 4, the scribe Ezra stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. And listen, let me just stop right here. This, I, I know this is semantics and I know this probably doesn't make any difference to you? But it makes a big difference to me just in in remembering this. I never refer to this that I stand on as a stage. It's not a stage. It's a platform. And the reason I never refer to this as a stage because a stage is for the lifting up of an individual for a performance. And a platform is to lift up another. A platform is to lift up him. A platform is to lift up an agenda. And so this is not a stage. This is a platform. And we lift up him because Scripture says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So he is the one that draws. He is the one that draws all men to him. So you look at this and you realize that they're, they're standing up high on a platform. It was also when they opened up the word, it was to help them understand that, guess what? The word is an authority over us. The word is over us. We're not over the word. Listen, there's a lot of people think they're over the word, right? And they'll say, "Well, I believe this scripture. I don't believe this scripture. I believe this scripture should be in the canon. This scripture shouldn't be in the canon." And so I'm trying. To, I'll decide what's right and I'll decide what's wrong. This was reminding them that guess what? The word is over us. The word is an authority in our lives. And so, so, and they had the Bible, verse five. And Ezra opened up the book in full view of all the people, since he was elevated above everyone. As he opened it, look at this, all the people stood up. So now you know that this is a model for us in our worship services. Now you know why we stand. It's it's in honor of his word. It's in reverence of his word. It's acknowledging. It's just acknowledging his word. This is a picture that they they had a high view of God's word. They just had a high view of God's word. And they hungered. Listen, you will never hunger for God's word until you believe it is life for you. Until you believe it feeds your soul. Until you believe that if you just take His word to the very best of your ability and apply it into your marriage, your relationships, your situations, your job, your career, that it'll go well for you. Blessed is the man and blessed is the woman that meditates on His word day and night. Because He'll be like a tree that is planted by a stream. And even in difficult seasons, His leaf will not wither, He will not struggle. And all that he does, he will will prosper. I don't know about you, but I especially need it in the times in which we live, right? I had never lived in such a confusing time. There's times that I've lived, and it may be confusing, but you could kind of understand it. Now you can, like, understand nothing. And we need him, and we need his word. And they stood in worship, verse verse 6. It says, verse 5, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord the great. With their hands uplifted, all the people said amen and amen. They, then they knelt, so here, here's changing perspective. Then they knelt low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So all of a sudden, there was like this physical response, and so they, respo- they responded by saying amen and amen. You may not know in the Hebrew, and you may not know the definition of the word amen. Amen simply means this, let it be so. That's all it means. Let it be saw in my, li- in, in my life. Let it be true in my life. Let it be lived out in my life. So when the people would say amen, they were, ex- they were especially saying, let this be true in my life. Let, this- let me live this out. And they had this passion for worship. They knelt low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. In other words, it's this picture of humility. It's this picture of changing the perspective of God to where they're not over God. God's over them. God is over them. I mean, this was huge for the Jewish people. I don't know if you've ever been in a worship service where this this has kind of been demonstrated. I've been in some of those worship services of people bowing low to him and people responding to him. And it is a moving thing. And so this group of people, they had a high priority for his word. They had a high priority for worship. And the other thing they did was important to them. Discipleship is a priority in their life. To where discipleship becomes a priority in their life. That's why I'm so excited about what's going on here at Fellowship of the Rockies. I mean, Wednesday night studies started, and, and, and it, is, it, is a, it is a happening place. And then we got life groups that, that are happening. We got men's studies. We got women's studies. The men's ministry is going to relaunch on October 11th, men's night. That's going to be an exciting night. And so discipleship was important for them. Look at this, verse 8. They read out of the book of the law of God translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. And so when you look at this, what good is it reading the Scriptures if there's not someone or if you don't understand what it means or how to apply it to your life? And so Ezra, all of a sudden, he's helping them understand that. But when people came back to God, here's the crazy thing. All of a sudden, their joy was restored. See, they had no joy. I mean, they were living in exile. They had no joy. They had no celebration. I want you to see this verse 8 or verse 9. It says, Nehemiah the governor, so now he's helping us understand, hey, who is this Nehemiah guy? He was a governor. I mean, he wasn't a a priest. He wasn't a scribe. He wasn't a religious leader. God used this man greatly. Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn and weep for all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, send portions to, to those who have, have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Lord, do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, many of us know, right? Many of us know, because we got a lot of refrigerator magnets and hallmark moments, right, This says the joy of the Lord is your strength, right? And we, a lot of times we don't know the context. We don't know where that is placed in Scripture. This is the only place that Scripture appears, and it appears in a really difficult time in Jewish history. And they came to the place and said, "Hey, guess what? The joy of the Lord is our strength." That word "strength" means refuge. That God is my refuge. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my my strength is found in the in the Lord. My strength is found when I understand that he is my refuge. The reason they're weeping and the reason that they're mourning, the reason that they're grieving is because when they read the word of the law, they realized that they'd been living in sin. And Ezra, the priest, stands up and says, Hey, quit weeping. Quit crying. God has forgiven you. God has forgiven you. You have been redeemed. You are are welcome back into the family of God. You are welcome back. No longer weep. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so all of a sudden they understood this powerful thing that God forgives sin. And God forgives. And because of that, we can have have joy. Listen, if you're here this morning and you'd say, you know what, I'm really struggling with this issue, issue of joy. Well, then you need God's word in your life. And you need to understand that, guess what, God God is, is your refuge. And I will trust in Him, and when I trust in Him, guess what, I, I will not, I will not be shaken. I mean, I remember, and, and I've shared my testimony so many times, but I remember when I came faith into faith in Christ, it, it was, it, I was in my 20s and my life had, 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 had fallen apart, and my Aunt and uncle brought me to church, and I didn't even go to church with pure motives. I needed a place to live, and, and, and then my uncle, uncle Bob was going to buy me lunch after the service, so how can you beat a deal like that? And so I didn't even, co- I didn't even go to church with pure motives. I was just there for lunch afterwards, because usually we went to a pretty good place with Bo- Uncle Bob. And so I was there for lunch and a place to stay. And God broke, listen, God broke through all of that, and I accepted Christ, and my life was radically changed. My life has never been the same. My life has never been the same. And I experienced this sense of joy of knowing that, guess what, my sins have been forgiven. A lot of times the reason, a lot of times the reasons we struggle is we forget that, guess what, God forgives sin totally and completely. You In Christ, you are totally and completely forgiven. You are deeply loved by him. And he he cares for you deeply. And so this issue of joy sometimes we struggle with joy right whenever whenever my joy quotient goes down I understand that there's something happening in my soul either I'm not meditating on God's word I forget that, that my joy is found in him I for, I forget that he is with me I forget that my trust is in him but there's something about this issue of joy have you ever have you ever noticed that 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 the kids have the ability to have joy and to be joyful even in difficult times. You ever notice that? Maybe that's why Jesus says, you know what? You need, to, you need to come into the kingdom as a child. Because sometimes as adults, we get all warped out over stuff that really doesn't matter. You ever been around your kids? You ever been around your grandkids and things are going really bad? And they're like, they're like silly happy? It's like, you know, there's this story. Chuck Swindoll tells this story. It's just a hilarious story to me. About this this grandmother who was taking care of her granddaughter, and so they were having breakfast together, and so the granddaughter said, grandmother, I really want to know how old you are, and she looked looked at her grandchild offended and said, that's ridiculous, you don't ask a lady how old they are, you never ask a lady their age, don't do that. And she goes, grandmother, I really want to know how old you are. And she said, don't ask me. And so a little bit later, she started giggling. She said, grandma, I really want to know how old you are. Please tell me. She says, I'm not going to ask you again. You ask me again, I'll punish you. I'm not telling you. I don't tell anybody my age. And so a few minutes later, the grandmother noticed that her, her granddaughter had disappeared, didn't know where she was. So she started looking through the house. She goes into her bedroom, and there her granddaughter is on the bed with the contents of her purse opened up, and she's holding her driver's license. She's about eight years old, and so she, she's holding the driver's license. She looks at her grandmother when she comes in. She said, Grandmother, I know how old you are. You're 76. You're 76 years of age. And so before grandmother could get mad, she says, oh, and you made an F in sex. And so uh, there's some of you get that when you go home. And you're like, what? what? I didn't know they put that on there. And so you'll get that when you go home for some of you. And so there's some, there is something about kids, right? There is something about kids, sometimes we as adults, we get all warped out over stuff that if we're honest, really doesn't matter. It really... And so that's why Jesus says, when you come into the kingdom of God, why don't you come into the kingdom of God like a child? Your kids, I mean, maybe your kids are different than mine, but when my kids were younger, they weren't... Listen, they weren't ever... Fact is, they're still not. They weren't ever stressed if we're going to make the house note, if we're going to pay the electric bill... If we're going to be able to afford groceries, they were never stressed over that. You know why? Because they just just thought mom and dad will take care of us. They were never stressed. They never carried any stress. Maybe we should be like that with God. To where we come to the place and we're not stressed because we know we we got a father. We got a heavenly father. and He's going to take care of it. And guess what? We're going to meditate on His word day and night, and we're going to be like a tree planted by streams of water. And even in drought, even when the country goes through drought, guess what? Our leaves are not going to wa- wa- wither, and we're going to We're going to prosper even through difficult times, because we're and we're going to continue to have joy. The last thing is this: is just lives are changed. Verse eleven, and the Levites quieted all the people, saying. Be still, since today is holy, don't grieve. Then all the people begin to eat and drink and send portions and had a, have a great celebration because they had understood the words that were explained to them. On the second day, the family heads and all the people, along with the priests and the Levites, assembled the scribes, Ezra, to study the words of the Lord. And all of a sudden, dad started like being the spiritual leader of homes, and they started leading their family started leading their family when you look at this you realize that that they got involved mom and dad in the leadership of the home and they started discipling their children they started helping their children see that's why family ministries mean so much to us here at fellowship the rockies Is we come alongside of moms and dads and help them in this issue of how to spiritually disciple their 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 children and when you look at this you see that they had this unbelievable joy. Watch this, verse 17. The whole community that had returned from exile made shelters and lived in them. That's a way of worship. The Israelites had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. And there was what? There was tremendous joy. There was tremendous joy when they realized that, guess what, we have been redeemed. Guess what? God saved us guess what God has forgiven us we are for we are forgiven people and God did something in such a way that we never thought we have seen we have seen a movement of God listen I'm telling you we should be able to experience tremendous joy we should be able to come to the place and just understand that guess what we have a heavenly father that cares for us and I don't know about you but I I want to be more like Nehemiah. That just practice practice spiritual disciplines of worship, of prayer, of the reading of Scripture, applying the Scripture to the, his life. And that when God puts something in my heart, I'm just gonna, just going to do it. Just going to do it. There's enough outrage in the times in which we live there's enough outrage. Anybody can be angry over anything. Anybody can be outraged over anything, but what has God broken your heart over to where you're actually getting involved in doing something like Nehemiah? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?